Welcome to Lives, a show exploring our experiences in the world and how we might live well. I'm Stuart Chittenden, and my guest today is ballet dancer and founder of American Midwest Ballet, Erica Overturf. In today's show, Overturf shares her journey as a professional ballet dancer, the demands on the body and mind, and the motivations behind founding a professional ballet company. At the end of the day, I feel like dance is so special. Um, because it's that connection that you're making with the audience, that human connection, making people feel something. And so even if it's impressive to see someone do a, a technical feat, that's not what moves you. It's the combination of storytelling and artistry. Erica Overturf is the founder of American Midwest Ballet, the region's professional ballet company. She began her training in Iowa at the Academy of Ballet, studying at various summer programs. Then after graduating high school early as valedictorian, Overturf earned in just three years her BFA in ballet performance and teaching from the University of Utah. Overturf went on to dance with various ballet companies, performing principal and soloist roles in a wide range of classical and contemporary repertoire. She has also been a faculty member and guest teacher for schools around the United States. Overturf has collaborated with Omaha Theatre Ballet, Opera Omaha, Omaha Symphony, and Jocelyn Art Museum in choreographing completely original ballets and fresh interpretations of classic works. Erica Overturf, welcome to Lives. Thank you. Maybe it's a trope that ballet is every girl's dream. So let me ask, was dance a part of your family context? Absolutely. My aunt is a dance teacher. Uh, I'm told that even when I was like very little, like just a little baby, anytime anyone would sing, I would bounce to the music and just loved it. So I think it started early, probably. (laughs) When was your first recollection that music and dance did speak to you in some way? Well, I would say it has always been part of my life. Um, I did start taking classes when I was very young, um, just in the little town where I grew up. And then uh, when I was about six, I started ballet training with the school where I trained uh, the rest of my years growing up, which was um, a wonderful school, the Academy of Ballet in Dubuque, Iowa. And I had an amazing teacher, Marina O'Rourke, and her mother, um, Tanya Beshanova, who was a member of the Ballet Russe. It was just so fantastic to have their wonderful teaching in our hometown in Iowa. You mentioned Dubuque, so that that was the hometown that you were... Well, Maquoketa is where I was when I was little, which is even smaller. And then um, Dubuque is where the school was. And uh, at some point we moved to, to Dubuque when I was in junior high. So they're both hometowns for me. Uh, my mom drove me uh, from Makokota to Dubuque to dance class all the time. And as you um, as you get older and dance, you train more days a week. So she was um, dedicated in making that drive um, all those years until we eventually did move to Dubuque. And uh, she ended up making many, many of the costumes for our dance school growing up. She always loved to sew. And then with my involvement with the ballet and then my sisters, uh, she began making the costumes and working along with Tanya, whom I mentioned. So um, learned how to make dance costumes and has been doing it ever since. And now is part of the miracle of what's made our company, American Midwest Ballet, possible is just her um, amazing talent, her creativity, and just one of the most hardworking people I've ever seen. How do you know that you're good enough How do your parents know that you're good enough, that this is what they want to invest their time in supporting you at? And I'm asking this just because I have this image of you being six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and and, and growing up with dance. But at some point, I also wonder if your parents are thinking, we're putting a lot of effort into this and we're driving many, many miles. And is this just a fad? Is this just something that our daughter just loves to do? But really, we need to focus on getting you to med school or whatever it is that parents <laughs> say. Um, but do you see where I'm going? This idea that 
where's that tipping point that they know they want to invest in your passion for this because it's real and it's not something that's ephemeral? Well, um, looking back, I've had people ask me, like, when did you know you wanted to be a dancer or any of that? Well, I never knew if I'd be able to dance professionally or as a child, I guess, I always thought, well, I wasn't thinking about that. What, you know, what am I going to do as an adult or making that decision or something? But then looking back, uh, my kindergarten class in that small town in Makokota, they did something. I think it was small enough. They published what every kindergartner wanted to be when they grew up. And I said that I wanted to be a dancer. I think, I guess some part of me just always, it's not like something I had to decide or know or even necessary probably understood what that meant is just something that I always loved. Maybe another question then is what else were you passionate about? If anything, I don't know if ballet was all consuming, but were there other things in your life when you were growing up that you were equally passionate about? And maybe you had to make a tough choice that ballet was it. Oh, well, I would say when I was little, I loved other things too playing outside. I played outside every day with our neighbor friends um, and uh, riding bikes. I loved riding bikes and all that type of stuff. Um, in Growing you know, older in high school and things like that, I always loved to sing too. And so there were definitely points where there are other activities, um, you know, as you, as you become a teenager, an activity that you're interested in takes more and more of your time. So you do have to kind of decide. So sometimes there was there was that type of thing, but ballet was my, my main commitment, but I loved, I think even when I was little, I loved art class. I loved singing, loved dancing, just all the things. <laughs> so I think most teenagers, many teenagers have a slightly rebellious moment during their teenage years when perhaps what they're good at, what they're destined for, what they're interested in, uh, perhaps gets waylaid by I'm just going to use the word mischief. Was there a moment in your teens when perhaps your the professionalism of growing into ballet and being invested in what was required to keep moving forward with that, did it ever get waylaid or were you really pretty single-minded about No, I was it? pretty dedicated. <laughs> I really was. I do remember in high school, though, um, you know, a little bit um, with – like choir teacher being frustrated because I couldn't commit to all of the, you know, opportunities that there were because I was so busy with dance. And I remember, I think it was a social studies teacher that thought like, really, you're going to go to school for ballet, you know, cause I was good in school too, you know, so people might see other avenues that maybe they thought that I could pursue, but for myself, I didn't really question it. And um, you know, my parents never put any sort of pressure on me about anything. I mean, I think it was probably, um, you know, cause I did graduate early from high school and then I did end up graduating early from college too, but that was never, um, you know, I, I guess for them that could have been difficult maybe to see me leave early or something. And actually that was a little hard for me just because I thought, you know, am I going to be missing out on time with my family? But at the same time, I felt ready to go on and pursue, um, you know, the next steps for me. And so um, I thought that was very generous and supportive of them to, you know, to support me in that. You graduated early from high school. You graduated early from college. You were valedictorian from your high school. Are you just like really smart? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I think I'm kind of driven, but you know, not, not at any sort of end goal. I'm just, you know, even the, the position I'm, I am now as artistic director, I never really set out to do that by any means. Um, I've been lucky to get to do things that I enjoy. And so um, I work hard at them, I guess. I think, um, maybe people that are considered smart or successful, or at least I kind of feel this way is always knowing that you don't know everything, always knowing you have more to learn and being open to that. So I feel like even with the things that I have accomplished, the things I do, you know, know or have achieved, like I've got a lot to learn. So I'm always trying to, um, to do that. So maybe that has contributed to my success. <laughs> 
you started training uh, in Iowa, the Academy of Ballet, and then you studied at various programs, including North Carolina School of the Arts, American Ballet Theater, Pittsburgh Ballet Theater, and the Kirov Academy before you earned your BFA in ballet performance and teaching from the University of Utah. What was your journey like in terms of the form of study, um, how those programs differed, and, and how you grew? I'm just curious about your journey through those different moments of being taught and practicing and learning uh, different approaches to becoming a better and better dancer. Well, the neat thing about um, going away in the summers to study with those summer programs, there's a couple of things. Uh, first of all, it's usually called a summer intensive, and you get to study many, many hours a day, all day long for you know a chunk of weeks, six weeks, let's say. And you can really improve a lot and learn a lot in that amount of time. So during the school year, if you're a student, you know, you're studying in the after school hours, um, but you can only fit so much into a day. During those summer times, it's all you're doing all day long. A little bit similar to when you become a professional and you're dancing all day long. So it just gives you um, each summer the chance to maybe take a leap in what you're doing, uh, what you're learning, and really um, hopefully advance your skills. The other thing is um, it's always really wonderful to study with different teachers because everybody has something different to offer. You know, some teachers might be really technical and have a really good eye about the reason you're falling out of this. You got to keep your shoulder over your hip and do, you know, just really small technical things. And other people really um, share a passion for, you know, the feeling behind something and how, so you can, you know, everybody has their different strengths as teachers. So when you get to study with different people, um, and then many times in summer intensives too, you get to study with former professional dancers that performed some really incredible repertory. So sometimes you get a chance to learn some of that rep. Um, and so it all just, yeah, contributes to your, to your knowledge over time. What is it that stands out to you now as you look back on those experiences that continues to influence who you are as a dancer and as a teacher? Well, one of the things that Tanya, uh, who I mentioned, who was with the Ballet Russe, um, she really was passionate about uh, performance quality. And even when I was a student, she would play some small roles and acting roles and performances. And she basically said, like, you can't do too much. I mean, she really taught you how to not, you know, hold back or get inside your head and really push and you know, connect. And to some extent, it comes naturally or not to people. You know, some of that is a given for some people. But I think that is such a, a powerful part of being a professional performer that goes way beyond technique. Because at the end of the day, I feel like dance is so special. Um, because it's that connection that you're making with the audience, that human connection, making people feel something. And so even if it's impressive to see someone do a, a technical feat, you know, that obviously requires a lot of training. That's not what moves you. It's the combination of storytelling and artistry. And so I think I had a front row seat to that, certainly with Tanya. I'm fascinated by the aesthetic beauty of an art form that is incredibly physical and at the same time is so suggestive and interpretive of music, of story of the visual performance. I'm wondering if you can put this in words, and I don't know if you can, what does it feel like to be in that moment when your body is so physically strained, yet at the same time so gracefully expressive that you feel that you as a human are giving this sort of full expression in an embodied way to this art? And I don't know what that feeling is like for a dancer who, like you, just at that moment knows that you're physically embodying this whole artistic expression. Well, you put it so beautifully with your question. I don't know that I could answer it any better than that, other than to say it can be exhilarating, really, to dance like with the music and sort of be the physical expression of the music is a really good feeling. And and even that tired feeling, like when you're 
you know, physically very tired and you're, you're jumping and breathing hard, but you're moving through space and you're, you know, it's just, it is very satisfying. Maybe to flip that on its head then, that feeling when it's all going so well sounds uplifting. What are those signals to you when you know your body's saying something's not quite right and it could be physical or, or, or mental, maybe it's something external to do with lighting or the music's off or something, but how do you feel, how do you know when it's not quite sparking correctly? Well, that is part of the, I guess the, I would say magic, but also the tricky part of live theater is it's real people in real life, you know, working on this and it doesn't always go perfectly. So that's part of being a professional dancer, I guess, is that we train and just as important as executing that pirouette perfectly or getting in your, you know, exact right spacing and all of those things that we work on is being able to move forward with your performance and not let it affect the whole rest of your performance. Because inevitably, no matter how many times you practice it, something can go awry, um, you know, something can go not quite right. It's very rare. I I mean, I'm trying to struggle to think of any dancer I know that ever has said like an inch, a whole show went perfect. It doesn't happen. Components of it do and different things. Oh, I nailed that balance tonight, but like, oh, I could have done better on the end of that, whatever. You know, you really, all that stuff is really, in your head um, can be, but um, I think you have to have the the strength and it just takes practice to carry on despite any of those little setbacks that you know maybe didn't go perfectly. And, um, you know, most of the time, those, those faults we would say that are, uh, they're lots of times imperceptible to the audience, um, but especially if you carry on your whole performance and don't let those things um, take you out of the moment. It sounds incredibly mentally draining too. And I think objectively, I know that any demanding work, physical or otherwise, requires a degree of psychological attention. What is it like beyond the physical to hold your concentration as, a, as an athlete, an aesthetic athlete for an entire show? Well, I would say that um, many of us dancers really have um, a commitment to either the character, if it's a story that we're telling, or if it's not a story-driven piece, you know, the intent or the feeling or the mood, but really not, not those being separate things, but it all being one thing. The movement, you know, is telling, is telling a story with the music, but you emotionally are feeling that story or thinking about what your character is thinking. So really um, being real about it, I guess I would say. There's this idea of making the physicality of the performance look effortless, while at the same time, again, objectively knowing that there's effort. That means there's an intensity of perspective on what the body looks like and is doing. Was there an any early stage with you or the, the people that you were training with when you were younger, some kind of pressure about how you perceived your body? For many teenagers this or adults, this could manifest as just uh, issues around self-identity and, and body image. But I just want to, is that really intense, intensified for ballet dancers? Are you super self-aware and super critical of, of your body and your body image? I think so in some ways because... Well, you're dancing in front of a mirror <laughs> all day, every day. And even the smallest um, shift in like the way you're moving um, can really sort of make or break that line. And so uh, while, I'm, while I'm talking about how important story is and artistry and all this, it's really combined with really a great attention to detail about exactly what position you're in. Because just the smallest shift, say in your foot, for instance, if you're shaping your foot, it can have just the right line that we're looking for in ballet. If you're not thinking about it and it's just just a hair the other way, it's not making that, that same beautiful line. So there's so many little parts of your body you have to think about at the same time. Um, yeah, shaping your ankle, your toes, 
uh, your elbow, your, your middle finger, your neck, but all at the same time, every part of your, of your body. But that is why we, you know, train and practice and think of all of those things and the, the rehearsal process, you're constantly getting feedback in classes, but also rehearsal notes about all of those little things is a part of it. So we don't just, you know, throw that all away and just dance. No, we really work on all of those details. And then when you get to the performance, you've been working on that so much, then that is the time to really not focus on that stuff. You know, you've, you've honed that in and then really give from your heart. Um, but it's definitely both. It's not just all heart or all technique. So for the benefit of listeners, as you were sharing that story, you are uh, shaping your elbow and your neck as you're sharing this story with me. Are you as hyper aware of how you move in the real world because you can't help it? Um, or do you slouch like I am right now? Oh, sure. I slouch too. But I would say dancers do have a heightened body awareness. Um, I know when we work with physical therapists and we're very lucky um, at the ballet, we work with um, Ortho Nebraska and we have a physical therapist that comes and has worked with us for years. But they always say, you know, they're, oh, what's wrong? Or how you? dancers will be like, well, you know, this, this hurts here, but my, you know, my left foot's more flexible, but my right foot is stronger. So, you know, and they're always like, oh yes, this is <laughs> dancers. You know, we, we know all of those little things about our body. Um, you know, this, this shoulder is more flexible or this tends to, or when I do this pirouette, I tend to pull out or I have to pull them, you know, all of just those little adjustments. So, I mean, I know that was kind of relating back to dance, but I think you do have that awareness um, of your of your body. But yeah, you can still slouch and be normal too. <laughs> when you were first developing your craft, what were the kinds of ways that you trained your body, uh, applied pressure to your body, but also looked after your body? Well, I think, you know, dance is very physically demanding and it can lead to injuries. So it's important to train correctly also, just to learn, I guess, to learn when to listen to your body is something that is really important. And it's something that students are not necessarily um, as good at. And then I think out of necessity, as you become a professional, you get much better and better at it. And especially the older you get, um, because you can have a lot more longevity if you attend to things and you get on top of them and you know, um, f for a dancer, ice can be your best friend. So anything's hurting ice a lot of times <laughs> does a really good, a really good trick. And just, you know, staying on top of those things, not letting something to get to the point of, I, I can't dance anymore. I'm in so much pain. I'm in tears, but really trying to stay on top of it. And a lot of those things you can still dance through. And I think for professional dancers, many times you have certain things that are nagging or bothering that you do dance through. And so learning how to um, be attentive to that, listen to your body, and, um, you know, is very important. And the reason I said students aren't as good as, at that is because, well, they don't have that experience. And when you're young, you can recover from stuff, you know, easily bounce back from stuff. Um, but they're just so enthusiastic and don't want to be ever sidelined. And so, you know, it can be easy to develop a tendonitis or overuse injuries um, and let something get too far before you take care of it. Have you ever experienced an injury that really worried you? You thought perhaps this this was um, a premature ending to your professional career? Well, um, the biggest injury that I had, I did have to have an ankle surgery. Um, but fortunately, it was something that you can fully recover from. So I was very lucky in that because injuries do end careers for dancers. Uh, but um, it it was the type of thing where um, I was even on stage, you know, dancing and I had been kind of like nursing this pain and maybe if I lay off of it and do this and that. And then it got to the point where I'm off stage and in tears and okay, I can't dance anymore. And dancers are tough. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't like to say that or get to that point. Well, it turns out I had like broken a little bone in my ankle and was, you know, dancing on it. So saying, you know, I just can't do this anymore was, was true. <laughs> 
But even then, I would say, I mean, it's definitely hard to be sidelined, but I knew or was told that this was something that you can come back from. So I was very fortunate in that. But it was amazing to see how your calf just disappears. So mine was an ankle injury, and then I was in a boot for however long, and then your calf just <laughs> disappears into a spaghetti noodle. And I, <laughs> oh my gosh, who knew? Um, so, but it comes back. You have to be in it for the long, the long term, you know. We're speaking about long term and how when you're younger and suffering injuries, that the, the body is, is more responsive to recovery. And as you said, you had this injury and your spaghetti noodle calf. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you work extremely hard to recover from that. But we can't fight the long term. We can't fight age forever. And you still dance. And we're going to talk a little bit more, though, about your founding of the American Midwest Ballet, your choreography work, too. So there's inevitably a sort of tailing off of actually being the dancer. And I don't know how that feels for you having to come to terms with the fact that being the dancer is something you can still do, but perhaps not at the elite level that you've been used to. Yeah, that's a great question. I think, um, well, you know, I was talking to uh, Anne Reinking when she was here working with us. We're so fortunate that we got to work with her. Um, she was a huge star um, on Broadway. Um, she did a lot of works of Bob Fosse and uh, was in some movies and is just um, such an inspiring person. Um, so it was really a pleasure to meet, meet and work with her. But um, she said that it's like a death is what she told me. When dancers stop dancing, you know, it can be like a death and there can be a mourning period and the whole thing. And so, um, but she said, the best thing you can do is sort of wean yourself, you know, rather than to just one day it's all gone and it's all you've known for your whole life. And I think uh, for myself personally, I'm extremely lucky because, um, you know, I do have the company American Midwest Ballet. I love to choreograph really as much as dance. And so I have something um, that I get to do that I'm just as passionate about. So for me, you know, it's not about losing dance. And really working with the dancers is just one of my most favorite things to do. Dancers are so hardworking. Um, getting to work with them in the studio, coach dancers and see their success and um, just get to be creative in the studio with them is really fun. Let's talk a little bit about choreography then, because it's another really vibrant form of creative expression especially when you yourself have the context to not only choreograph, but also to understand what it is to be the performer of that choreography. And so you have choreographed original ballets inspired by, for example, artwork or exhibitions at the Joslin Art Museum, including Connemara, Cleopatra, Go West, Appalachian Song, uh, The Bee's Knees, and you've choreographed other works too for other organizations. Could you perhaps pick one of your favorites just to illustrate what is the process of you being inspired to create the work? And then how do you go through that process of bringing your inspiration to fruition? Um, okay. So a lot of the, a lot of the works that um, I've gotten to do in collaboration with Jocelyn Art Museum, that's been a really fun challenge because I never know what it is that they're going to have going, you know, and what might work for a ballet, but we've had a longstanding relationship with them. So they will share with me maybe what is coming up for a future exhibition or, you know, something along those lines. And then I'll see if I think like, oh, I, I could do a ballet about that. So a lot of times, some of the work I've done hasn't necessarily been something I've had this burning desire to do or an idea for, but still I wouldn't want to make a ballet about something that I wasn't, you know, passionate about or didn't feel I had a good idea for. But a lot of times, you know, a spark has come from something like that. Um, so sometimes I will think that, uh, you know, oh yes, this can make a great idea for a ballet, but then, you know, I'll go to find the music or something and 
be more challenged than I thought. Um, but uh, usually once I, once I have an idea and then if I like it, then it just flows and it's a lot of fun. Is there an art piece or an exhibition that, that I or listeners might know connected with the Jocelyn? Well, for instance, I could talk about Go West because we're doing that ballet right now um, in October. And so that was uh, an exhibition that was at the museum. And uh, I thought, okay, could I create something on this theme? And that was sort of the kernel of the idea. And then um, I did drag my feet about creating the ballet, committing to creating it because it's just time consuming. And also in running the company, you know, I'm there's just a lot to do all of the time. So I'm always like, oh, can I squeeze this in? Um, but then, as I mentioned, my mom is our costume designer. It, it takes a long time. It takes far longer, I would say, to build all the costumes for a ballet than even to choreograph one. And so many times if she knows like something's like potentially in the works, she's like, well, I'm just going to start on these costumes because if Erica decides to do this, like I will never be able to catch up if I don't get started now. And so she did. She started pulling costumes together for a Western um, ballet. And then once I saw those, I thought, oh, this is too cute. We've got to do this, you know. And so then it just took off from there. You mentioned earlier that part of the ballet performance is to express a story. You are also giving a bodily interpretation of the music, but also a bodily interpretation of the story. So, for example, with Go West, you're choreographing that. Were you choreographing to an existing story or were you also conceiving the story arc as well? Conceiving the story arc as well. Yeah. So I, you know, just found um, the music that inspired me and then tried to weave it together. So it's many, uh, a lot of my work is a lot of small like vignettes of stories and then it's an overarching, um, a lot of them I feel like reflect life in a way, which is funny, happy, sad, romantic, you know, it's got all of those elements. So a lot of my pieces draw on all of that. Um, but then I try to figure out how to weave it together to make sense uh, for an overall experience for the piece, for the audience. So as well as a choreographer, you are a dancer. So as you're crafting the moves the bodily rhythms to give life to the story and and the music i would imagine that you're as it were playing that in your head and probably also in front of your mirror performing the moves too but is i I don't know you you tell me (laughs) yeah uh the way that i typically do it is i get into the studio with the dancers and then i'll show them ideas you know, let's try this. And then they do it. And then sometimes they'll do something a little different. I'm like, oh, that's great. You know, and so, um, but we just kind of work along that way. And um, I don't, when I first choreographed, lots of times I would choreograph the whole thing, you know, in my living room or whatever, write it all down, have all my notes, draw pictures of patterns and all of that. And that is great, you know, and a lot of people work that way. I just like ran out of time to do that. <laughs> and I learned to trust myself. And so um, I work in the moment uh, a lot more. And it's really fun um, because then things, you just see it evolve in front of your eyes and then I can see where to take it next. So that's kind of how I do it. I love hearing how you've evolved into moving into a more collaborative and impromptu way of forming the choreography because I would imagine it possibly could be really frustrating to have in your head a visualization of what the dance should be but then have to rely upon other dancers to probably get it wrong to start with because they're not in your head I don't know if that was frustrating uh, or not or if it's frustrating when you're collaborating if people still can't see the vision that's in your head I would say I'm not usually frustrated when working with the dancers. It's usually, well, they're so good. (laughs) And so they're bringing to life, like a lot of times I would say that what I see is like, I can see it like a loose painting, you know, like a watercolor or just like a loose image of what I want. I can visualize it, but I don't necessarily worry about crafting in all of the details 
um, just in terms of having some sort of idea of what I want the piece to be about or how many people I want or, you know, what type of movement in general. Um, but then I think um, in working with the dancers, they're so good that, you know, really stuff um, looks good and I'm happy with it. But at the same time, we're all used to that process of always making things the best it can be. And so, um, you know, lots of times I'll watch stuff and I'll see ways it can be better. It's just, uh, that's just the process, but um, it's a lot of fun. You founded American Midwest Ballet and it's a professional company. I don't quite understand the nuances between different companies. So what is a professional company and how is that different to other types of company? Oh, sure. Um, well, a professional ballet company means um, that the dancers get paid <laughs> and people pay to come and watch the shows. So uh, the dancers that we have are really from all over the United States. Um, some of them have danced professionally previously. Others have been in you know, training programs and maybe graduated from a, a college program like I did. And um, this is what they do for their main, you know, full-time endeavor. And we work with um, professional choreographers as well. So in addition to myself and our ballet master, Aaron Alarcon, who choreographs for the company, uh, we bring in guest artists too from around the country really and, and get to have the dancers dance in, in a number of styles and share that with our audience. So um, we, uh, as a professional ballet company, it also means that you're supported significantly by contributions. We're a charitable organization, 501c3. So ticket sales really only ever for a ballet company um, support a portion of your operations. And so that was a big part too of forming the company um, all things that I hadn't done before, <laughs> but to, um, you know, learn about fundraising, grants, certainly, but just um, working with donors. To me, that's, um, it's been such a neat side of the whole thing that you're not necessarily exposed to so much or really understand as a dancer, but the whole administ arts administration side of things. Um, but really, you're in partnership with them the donors, the foundations, the individuals, and some people give it really big levels. And, you know, some people give a gift that's meaningful to them. Um, but whatever size it is, all of those pieces come together. So like, I can see this really big picture of, you know, all of our dancers, our staff that's hardworking, you know, our donors, all the people that buy tickets, the students and their parents, just everybody. And then Everybody is connected or has a role within our organization, and it takes all of us to make it happen and to have this beautiful professional art form thriving in our community. So it's really neat to see um, everything that it takes to make it happen. Why did you found the company? Well, I was a professional dancer and a choreographer with the former company, that was in Omaha, and we learned that that company was closing, was folding. And so uh, we were devastated as dancers, and I thought that it was really important to keep professional dance here. It's a wonderful community, and we have um, many, you know, exciting arts and culture opportunities here. And, of course, dance is my personal passion and so um, I felt that we had nothing to lose. Like, we've already lost it. So I can try to start a company. And if it doesn't work out, like, we're really no worse off than we are right now. Um, and thankfully, I, did, I didn't know how hard it would be, what it all would take. Uh, you know, it would have been probably too scary. It was scary anyway. But I had that sort of like, well, like, we're already in this boat. So what do we have to lose, you know, mentality. and then. There were, uh, you know, some people that were like, we believe in this, like you can do it. And that was really cool to hear. And then there were also people that are like, well, that's ambitious. They'll never be able to do that. And that was also motivating. So, you know, really everybody helped, whether they <laughs> believed in us or not, um, because uh, one way or another, we did do it. 
I've already learned from your early years that you're driven as well as smart and humble. But what has surprised you about it? So you did say that there are many aspects of running essentially an organization, being a leader of an organization, which comes with all sorts of practical things like paying people and having space and building relationships and having a, an employee culture, all, all these other aspects of being a leader of an organization. What has surprised you about being the boss, as it were, of the company? Sometimes people call me the boss, <laughs> which is true, I guess. But I think the way it started is I just really, I felt like, and I was one of the dancers and it was something that I, you know, wanted to make happen. And there were other people too that were, yes, like we want this to happen. Um, but then I just had to like step up and be willing to um, lead it to make it happen. So again, it wasn't something I said, like, I want to be in charge of people. I want to be a boss <laughs> or anything like that. I just wanted to see this thing that I love happen. And if that meant that I had to like step up and take a leadership role, then I was willing to do that, even though that wasn't really something that I was like wanting to do. Has your attitude towards or perception of ballet changed in any way since you've started this company and, and as you sort of self-described as it were, become the boss? Yeah, I think, you know, just the more experiences you have, you, um, you see things from more perspectives. You can put yourself in other people's shoes a lot more. And I think it's probably true with all of us and any of us, just the more years, hopefully, that you have on this earth, <laughs> the more you learn and the more it's sort of, you know, moments you have of, ah, now I understand this in a different way. I confessed earlier that my familiarity with, with ballet is somewhat limited. Um, however, uh, I'm sure many people have seen the film Black Swan with Natalie Portman and Myla Kunis playing these ballerinas in Swan Lake. The film portrays this transmutation of Natalie Portman into this psychologically fraught and traumatized dancer. She's assuming these different roles in, in the ballet. And I'm referencing this because I'm wondering how competitive is ballet and how do you manage a team of professional dancers when all of them want to have a certain degree of professional uh, accomplishment and, and often that means being the principal performer. So I'm curious how professional and competitive it is as you lead this company. Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, you get some movies like that and it's a big kind of pop culture reference to ballet and people are like, is it like that? And I would say, well, gosh, I mean, it could be somewhat somewhere, but hopefully no. <laughs> um, you know, I would say with our company here, all dancers are very, you know, driven. And in ballet, you can always be improving and doing better you know it's very it's very much a, always a work in progress to try to be your best um, but at the same time I feel um, in our company we do really overall have a culture of being supportive of each other and it's really a team and we all um, succeed and thrive together I think I see people learning from each other I mean that's really the best thing that you can do rather than um, sort of that competitive spirit of trying to, I want to be better than this person or I, you know, this isn't fair and this and that. Um, it's healthier and I think um, hopefully more rewarding helps you grow more. If you look at your friends and colleagues and you see, oh, wow, that was so beautiful. I love how she did that. I'm going to try to work on that and draw inspiration from all of these talented people because it's another way of really achieving that thing of trying to become the best you can be. Um, but instead of it cutting others down in order to build up, it's drawing from the talents of these other wonderfully talented people to try to learn and continually grow and make yourself better. So I think um, 
And I hope that we foster an environment that is more like that. And the other thing is all of the dancers in our company are talented and they bring different things to the table. And so they, different people are going to be right for different roles and everybody hopefully has different opportunities to shine. And that's the other thing um, as a professional dancer, you have to remember is there, there will be ups and downs. There'll be times when the casting, you know, comes out and you're disappointed you're really hoping to get to do something and you didn't, but guess what? You can understudy that part. You can learn from it. You can, you know, you can be sad for a day and then you go in and then you, you know, continue to, if that's something you want to do, then you keep working on it and that type of thing. And, um, yeah, that's, um, I think overall we have um, a group of dancers that is dedicated, supportive of each other. Everyone brings different skills to the table and we work together. Instead of my pop culture references, then what are misperceptions that perhaps the community at large have about ballet, ballet dancers, ballet performance, or, you know, a company of ballet dancers? Well, (laughs) one of the big questions we get is, oh, they must not eat anything. And, you know, I I think um, uh, eating disorders are a serious thing. And for people that struggle with that, you know, that's a a hard challenge to overcome. But it's certainly not true that, like, for instance, dancers don't eat or they're on, you know, these wild workout regimens all the time. It's uh, dancers are very physically fit. They're dancing all day long. Um, They do have to eat to provide energy to their bodies to accomplish that. And they really are physically challenging their bodies all day long, you know, so they do burn a lot of calories that way. So, um, but that's one, one question that we, that we, um, people often seem to be curious about. (laughs) Part of the mission of American Midwest Ballet is community education, community engagement. What does that look like? Well, the community um, engagement is a really, really important part of our mission. Um, We want to bring dance to as many people as possible. It's something that we love, so we want to share that with the community. And um, we especially love um, bringing dance experiences to people that might not otherwise just have that opportunity, be exposed to it. And so we have a roster of, um, I think, over 30 community partners, organizations and um, we do things like invite people to come and see a ballet performance. You know, it can be an evening of beauty and inspiration. And for all of us, um, you know, it's just a chance to escape into another world um, for a couple of hours that can be a really beautiful thing. And so uh, we want to share that with as many people as we can. We also... Um, do workshops in the community. So we'll go out and bring um, our professional dancers and teachers in um, to different um, community partner organizations and offer a chance to learn about dance. We also do it within um, schools, especially related to the Nutcracker, to give um, a little introduction to dance for students that are maybe going to be coming to see the shows. And so um, I think sometimes people have a perception that ballet is sort of either, I don't know, highbrow, elite. I don't know if I understand that or if it's going to be too stuffy. And it's really not. Dance is, it's expressive, it's fun, it's beautiful, it's to music. It, you know, it really can speak to people. So we like to, um, to just get people in to see it and especially young people just to um, give them that, that opportunity. You've been living this creative, expressive life for all of your life. And you use the phrase then, opportunities to escape into another world. And I just want to ask, when do you, as a person, as a human, when do you feel most fully alive? Well, (laughs) I don't mean this to sound corny, but when I'm holding hands with my boys. What are we talking about dance wise? <laughs> but to me, I, they're little, they're, um, they're five and seven and they still both, you know, hold my hands sometimes. And that is when I think, oh, I just want to hold on to this feeling forever. <laughs> I think that's so beautiful. Are they going to be dancers? Who knows? But, uh, they are studying dance and, um, 
they seem to enjoy it. So we'll see if it's something that they are interested in. Um, we'll support that. And if it's something else, we'll support that too. Because I do think um, the luckiest thing that you can have is if you find something that you really do enjoy doing and then you can pursue that. So that would be my advice to any young person. And it sounds to me in some ways you found this for yourself. There was the inspiration or the role model of your aunt as a dancer and a ballet teacher. But it, it sounds to me as if you found your way into that thing. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't really thinking of um, other things and having to decide. I just kind of, it's just always been a part of my life. And I've been fortunate that I've been able to do it for my whole life. My guest today has been Erica Overturf, ballet dancer and founder of the American Midwest Ballet. Erica, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. Lives is brought to you on KIOS Omaha Public Radio and is produced by Courtney Beerman. The music you hear playing in and playing out is performed by Andrew Bailey. Podcasts of today's show and others can be found at livesradioshow.com or where you get your podcasts. Subscribe today and please leave a review. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. Join me next week as we delve further into the practical and profound possibilities of living well. Thanks for listening. Thank you.